Psalm 139. It's a prayer of vindication from David. He's a, a king, a warrior, a poet, a musician. And in this psalm, you'll, as we'll find out today, he's crying out to be vindicated. He's crying out to God for justice. So let's read this, Psalm 139. This is God's perfect Word. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light shall be about me, be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You did not leave us on earth wandering 
in darkness alone. But You have given us Your Word and Your Spirit, Lord, and I pray that this morning Your Spirit, would You be here. I know that You are here. Give us faith to believe. Lord, would You drive away distractions so that we could encounter the truth and taste Your grace. I lift all this up to You. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I have a three-year-old at home. I have a three-year-old daughter. Her name is Camilla. And a one-year-old son, Dawson. And if you've ever played hide-and-go-seek with a three-year-old, well, it doesn't go too well. Um, But it, it does make you feel smart. It makes you feel really smart. So I was playing, recently I was playing hide and go seek with my daughter, Camilla. And I was introducing the game to her, so this is her first time. So I said, okay, I'm going to count to ten outside the room. I want you to stay in here and hide. She said, okay, okay. So I closed the door. Eight, nine, ten. Ready or not, here I come. And just her head, I walk in the room and just her head is tucked under the crib. And her whole body's out. And so I say, Camilla, I see you. And I explained to her, just because you can't see me doesn't mean I can't see you. You've got to get your whole body under there. So I try it again. I go back out the second time. I count to ten. Ready or not, here I come. And this time, at the last minute, she had changed. She wanted to change hiding spots, so she was scurrying across the room. And of course, I found her. See, three-year-olds are bad at hiding. They're bad at hiding. And at one time or another, we are like this. We all hide from God. We try to pretend to be okay. We cover our sins. But like Camilla's hiding, it doesn't work. Whether it's a big hide, whether we're hiding our whole life is a lie, or it's just a small little nook or cranny of our life that we are Hiding from God. We've all done it before and maybe we're doing it now. So as we look at this passage today, Psalm 139, I want to answer one simple question. Why should you stop hiding from God? And you'll see your outline printed in your bulletin. There's three answers here. Stop hiding because God knows the real you. Because God sees your sin. And because, because God loves to show mercy. So let's look at our passage. As I said, David has been falsely accused, so he cries out to God. He cries out for vindication. He cries out to God, the only one who knows his heart. Look at verses 1-4. through four. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out all my paths, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, You know it all together. In the midst of false allegations, David turns to God. The only one who truly and intimately knows his heart 
You see, David's reputation has been so thoroughly destroyed that he is comforted by the reality that, that no matter what his enemies say, no matter what people say, it's God who knows the real David. You see, God looks into your heart and He sees your thoughts, your motivations, your desires. There is nothing hidden from the eyes of God. And He is the only one who truly knows you. If your reputation has been damaged, or you find yourself hungry for the approval of men, this is deeply comforting. It means that it is not what other people think or say about you that matters. It's God's opinion that we as Christians should care about. If you're familiar with the story of David, you know that he was labeled um, a treason. He was accused of treason by King Saul. And, and Saul said, he's trying to steal my throne. And he was driven into the wilderness. And he was there for years. Labeled an enemy of the state. He was hunted. He was literally hunted. Even though he's only been obedient. And David, as he's wandering in the wilderness, as an labeled falsely as an enemy of God. We don't know if this psalm was written during this time, but we can tell, we can see the similarities. We see this in verses 19 through 22, and you'll notice there's an unexpected shift that takes place in verse 19. For the first 18 verses, he's been meditating on God's intimate knowledge of him, and he shifts, he switched gears completely. And look at what he says there in verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak evil against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So, Part of the accusations against David are that he is the one who is an enemy of God. And he refutes these. He refutes these accusations and distances himself from these bloodthirsty men. He says, those are the ones who are the enemies of God, not me. See, there's two things that we need to have a category for. First... There is your reputation. That's what people think of you. What other humans think of you. And then there's reality. This is who God knows you to be. David's reputation has been ruined. Completely and utterly ruined. So he goes to God to comfort himself, to steady himself in the reality that God knows Him. Do you see Him doing that there in the text? Do you see that? One of my favorite children's books 
was written by Max Lucado, and it tells the story of a little wooden elf figure named Punchinello. Maybe some of you have read this. It's a great book. And Punchinello lives in a town of Wemmix. These are these little wooden people. They're all different shapes and sizes. And they're all carved by one man, Eli, the woodcarver. And what's sad about this town is that they all carry around gray dots and gold stars. And when someone does something bad or foolish or they make, uh, make themselves look silly in front of everyone, they get a gray dot. A little bit of shame. But if you do something good, if you're athletic, if you're accomplished, you get straight A's, you get a gold star. Good job. So all of these Wemmicks are walking around with some mixture of gray dots and gold stars. But then we meet Punchinello. And Punchinello has failed a lot. He has nothing but dots. Just a bunch of gray dots. He's not talented. He's not funny. He makes a fool of himself. And he's pretty sad because he's covered in gray dots. But one day he meets Lucia. And Lucia is strange. She has no gray dots and no gold stars. So he asked her, what, how is this possible? How is it that you have no dots or stars? And she says, it's, it's very simple. Every day I go and see Eli, the woodcarver. Punchinello hears this and he decides, well, I'm going to go see Eli. I want to meet this guy. And this is how the story reads from there. Punchinello walked up the narrow path and stepped into Eli's shop. His eyes grew big. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on tiptoe to see the top of the workbench. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. Then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. How good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello looked up. You know my name? Of course, I made you. Eli picked him up and set him on the bench. It looks like you've been given some bad marks, said the maker. I didn't mean to, Eli. I I really tried hard Punchinello, I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and neither should you. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think. Punchinello laughed. I'm not very talented and my paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? And Eli spoke very softly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met Lucia, said Punchinello. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what others think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. 
For now, come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as he was leaving, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. Christian, aren't you tired of messing around with gray dots and gold stars? Do not hope in your reputation. It is an illusion and it will not last. Instead, rest in the reality that God knows you. Be comforted by the reality that it's God's opinion of you that matters. And there is also a fearful side of this reality. The reality that God knows us. And this brings us to point two. Stop hiding because God sees your sin. Because we know, we know that there is darkness inside of us. We are committed to hiding, to covering, to pretending. Since the very first sins that were committed in the garden, we have been hiding. And David explores this option in verses 7 through 12. Look there with me. He says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the mornings and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. And that's just a poetic way of saying, if I go as far east or as far west, you're there. He goes on, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. He asked the question, maybe I can't get away from you, but maybe I can cover myself in the shroud of darkness. But no, God has night vision The dark is just like the light to Him. Where can we go to hide from God? Maybe maybe there's somewhere we haven't looked. Maybe we're just not trying hard enough. Maybe we could get away from Him. Have we tried space? What if we lock the doors and turn out the lights, shut the blinds? What if we use incognito mode on our Google or clear our search history? What if we go as far east or as far west or even, he says, to hell or to heaven? It doesn't matter. Everything is seen by God. Everything. Everything done under the cover of darkness, God is there as an eyewitness. Think of different Bible characters. Jonah, 
You're familiar with Jonah. He ran from God. God said, Jonah, I want you to go preach to Nineveh. And Jonah got on a boat, went the exact opposite direction. Of course, we know that story. It didn't work for Jonah. Adam and Eve, our first parents, they sinned from they sinned and hid from their Creator. After sinning, they realized they were naked. And what did they do? They, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And God seeks them out says, where are you? And they answer, we were afraid because we were naked. Such a curious thing, isn't it? The most twisted logic. Here you have Adam and Eve who had just, just recently been handcrafted by God. I just want to sit them down. I want to sit down Adam and Eve and say, so explain this to me. God who just made you, and He made you naked, now you realize you're naked and you feel the need to run away from the guy who just crafted you with his own hands. That doesn't make any sense. He knows your nakedness better than you do. But we do this too. We're no different from Adam and Eve or Jonah. But because He made you, He knows you better than you know yourself. Look at verses 13-16. through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance in the book. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You see that? He doesn't just know who we are. He even knows what we will do. You know, something hit me for the very first time when I became a parent and I changed my daughter's dirty diaper the very first time in my life as a 25, 27-year-old, it occurred to me, my mom used to change my dirty diapers. After seeing Camilla be born, I realized that my parents, the same way I knew my daughter better than she knows herself, I knew my parents knew me. And I realized, why, why do I try to pretend to be better than I am around my parents? Why would I do that? Why would I pretend to have it all together when they know me often better than I know myself? You see, God knows you far more intimately than your parents do. He knows you far more intimately than your kids know you. And far better than you know yourself. So how can you know if you're hiding from God? Well, here are some diagnostic tests. First, do you feel the need to cover your sins to others? Do you have a hard time confessing your sins to your Christian brother or sister? You might be hiding from God. If it's hard to pray, if it's hard to talk to God, you might be hiding from God. If it's hard to let other humans 
know you, to really know you, you might be hiding from God. If you have to constantly distract yourself from the day-to-day grind, you might be hiding from God. Sadly, the church pews are a great place to hide because you can have the reputation of being a godly saint, of one who is close to God, but the reality could be that you are using the church as camouflage. And look, we all hide from God, and if you are hiding from God, you are not the first one to try this. You are not. I've I've tried it. Our forefathers have tried it. Every human has tried to hide from God. But you need to know that it does not work. This psalm exposes the reality of God's intimate knowledge and the absolute futility of hiding from Him. As Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So here we are. Totally exposed before the eyes of God. He sees the depths of our sin, past, present, and future. But now the question is this, what will God do? We stand before Him completely and utterly exposed. What will our God do? How will He respond? That brings us to point three. Stop hiding because God loves to show mercy. In order to understand this psalm, we need to understand how it fits in the storyline of Scripture. So I want you to turn with me to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9. We're just going to look at one very short passage. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. It reads this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. In this passage, we learn, and throughout all of Scripture, we learn how Jesus responds to our sins being exposed. Like a good doctor, like a great doctor, He moves towards us with mercy and healing. You see, why do we hide? 
We hide because we think if He saw us, He would condemn us. We hide because we think if God knew what I've done, He wouldn't forgive me. He wouldn't be able to handle the depth of my evil. Or we hide because we think there is no solution to the problem. But Jesus says He is a great doctor. And He says He did not come for the healthy. But for the sick. And this is such, such a helpful metaphor that Jesus gives us. Think about it. What, what do you do when you go to, to the doctor? Well, you fill out what happens to be some of the most humiliating paperwork that you'll ever fill out. You'll get a piece of paper and you'll check whatever's wrong with you. Every ailment that you have. And if you're like me, you kind of make sure no one's looking. Like, I need some privacy to fill this out. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, what's the minimum I need to tell them in order to get good treatment? You know, I, just, I want them to treat this one thing. I just want to be honest. How honest do I need to be to get good treatment? And if you want good treatment, you've got to check all the boxes. You've got to be honest about what's wrong with you. And we do it. We do it because we, we know that we need help. That's why we're at the doctor. So Christian, I, I ask, what sins and what suffering from your past do you need to bring to Jesus, the good doctor? It's so easy to create a barrier between us and our past and think, I'm not the same person I used to be. It's true that your past does not define you, but the sins of your past will weigh you down. David describes this weight in Psalm 32. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Instead of being weighed down by past sins, God calls us to confess to the Lord and to be free. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. No doubt you recognize that Psalm 139 is a, a famous passage, and in large part, it's famous because it's often used to make a biblical case against abortion. And, and rightly so. We see here, he says, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God knows us personally before we're born, because we are persons before we're born. But one in four women in the United States today, at some point in their life, will have an abortion. And you may be one of these. This is sad. This is sad for the women and the men involved. It's sad for the, the babies that we will never meet. But if this is you, you need to know that God has seen your abortion. And that Christ died to pay the price for that too. 
In Christ, you no longer need to hide. You are forgiven. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christian, there is nothing in your past that God cannot forgive. That God has not forgiven. Sins of your youth. Things that you would like to pretend never happened. But still haunt you. So don't hide from God anymore. Stop pretending you can cover your sins. Bring it all to God in prayer. Present your heart to Him as David does. Saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And receive His mercy. And I'll close with this, a short story to answer this question. How great is God's mercy? Because your flesh will tell you, your flesh will lie to you and say, God couldn't forgive that. But God's mercy is more. So how great is God's mercy? Many of you are familiar with Corey Ten Boom. I got to visit her watch shop in Holland. If you don't know, she was a watchmaker in Holland during World War II. She helped hide Jews in her shop. Eventually, her family was caught and sent to Ravensbrück, a Nazi concentration, concentration camp. And there she was uh, tortured, humiliated. Um, just, uh, her sister Betsy died. But she survived, and she went on to share her story of redemption and how God had been kind to her. But one, one day in, in 1947, she was speaking in a church in Germany, and at the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. And she froze. She froze because she knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrook, One who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. And all her memories came flooding back. Now listen to how she recounts this moment, this interaction with this man. And now, Corey says, and now he was pushing his hand out to shake mine and saying, a fine message. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remember him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? 
And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting. I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. Christians, God's mercy and His grace and His forgiveness is so much greater than Corey's. And it is so much greater than your sins. He waits for you with arms wide open like Eli, the woodcarver. Every day, I've been hoping you'd come. Every day. So don't hide anymore. Come to the One who knows everything that you've ever done and be forgiven. Come. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it is true. We are great sinners. But what is so much more true is that You are a merciful God. Lord, please, I pray that You would help us to turn to You. That we would run to You. As a son runs to his father. Help us to do this, Lord. Help us to believe what we have just heard. What is the clear witness of Your Word? Help us to believe it and live like it's true. We need Your help, Holy Spirit. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.